Well, we are starting a new series today called The Fight of Your Life. Uh, it's a five-week series looking at uh, really what is the things that come up against us? What are the things that we battle in this life and what do we do with them? Because the reality is, whether you're willing to admit it to yourself this morning or not, we're all in a battle of some sort. And I don't mean one physically, I mean one spiritually. I mean that there are things that come against you and there are things that come against me that you have an opportunity every day to be a victim of or a victim or a victor over those things. You get to decide, but here's the thing about this battle. You have to acknowledge that you're in it in order to win it. You have to acknowledge that there is a fight for your life or you will lose the fight you are unwilling to acknowledge even exists. And so over the next five weeks, I'm going to invite you to stand up spiritually to get up off the couch spiritually, to get up off the place of lackadaisicalness and to begin to take seriously the things that God has commissioned you to do and commissioned me to do and commissioned the church to do because I want to see you win the fight of your life. And I want to see your kids and your families win the fight of your life. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, but it requires you to be a little bit honest this morning, that you're not crushing it all the time. There's some things in your life that need some work, and we're going to talk through those. And um, if you uh, are a reader, I would recommend picking up this book. Uh, we based some of the series off of this book. It's called I Declare War uh, by Levi Lusco. It's a great book, uh, really entertaining read, really applicable. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon. You can pick it up at the bookstore, anywhere you can find it. I'd encourage you to grab one of those and uh, check it out. What I want you to see this morning is that uh, this battle that we're talking about is one that scriptures told us was happening. And it's not a battle with the people that you see at the store. It's not a battle with people that you have problems with. There's a much deeper battle that is happening. And we're going to talk about who the enemy really is in this fight. We're going to be kind of in a couple different passages. We're going to start in Romans chapter 7 as we talk about the fight that Paul is um, explaining here. Romans chapter 7, verse 21 says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul is describing something that you all feel. It is, I want to do what is right. I, I don't want to do the things I said I'm never going to do, right? The things you wrote down, I will never do this again. We find ourselves wanting to do them again, do we not? We find ourselves returning, and you feel that internal struggle all the time of I know this is wrong and I shouldn't do it, or I know this is right and I should do it, but I'm not doing it. And Paul describes that as a war that is being waged on your mind, a battle you are fighting internally that is trying to make you a prisoner of war. And Paul is going through here and saying, I refuse to be a prisoner. But he's talking about a wrestle that if you're honest and I'm honest, we all feel. And so the question is, will you be a prisoner to the war that is being fought or will you stand up and fight? Will you begin to take action on what God says? What Paul is doing here is what I want to invite you to do through this series, and it is to declare war on the version of yourself that you don't want to be. We all have that alter ego, shall we say. You know, that one that just shows up when you're a little hungry and a little tired, a little stressed out, that version of yourself that is sometimes a little mean, right? Like, Matt doesn't always look like Jesus. Matt looks a lot like Matt sometimes, and that means he can be mean and cold-hearted and cranky and cynical, and yes, your pastor is all of those things. 
or am I? See, what Paul is talking about is that I don't have to associate who I am with those things because those things stand opposed to me. Those things are sin. Those things are trying to destroy me. Those things are trying to take me down. And Paul says, I, I'm declaring war on those bad habits. I'm declaring war on that sin pattern. I'm declaring war on those destructive patterns in my life because I don't want to be that anymore, and I don't have to be. Why? Because Christ already purchased victory for me. And so those things are opposed to me. So I invite you to declare war and the things and patterns in your life that you don't want to be there anymore because they don't have to be. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to, over the next five weeks, talk about some different territories that we're trying to fight for. And we're going to talk about today is our mind. As Paul talks about here, this battle being waged in the mind. And what happens in your mind is incredibly important. And, and you kind of hear this thing around culture that says mind over matter just kind of fixes things. And, you know, that's been debunked and whatever. I don't know if everything that happens there is real or not, but what I know is this. What happens in your mind really does matter. Every decision you make started as a thought somewhere. Every action you take started as something that you were swirling around in your head. Everything you believe in your heart and your deep convictions started as something you heard and either chose to believe or reject. So what happens in your mind has the ability to steer the ship of your life. And so we're going to talk about that one today because the culture has told us, and you've heard this, just trust your heart. Just do what feels right. Whatever your gut tells you, just go that way. Listen, my gut tells me to eat cheeseburgers every day, right? <laughs> it's trying to betray me, all right? I'm just saying, I can't trust that thing. And the problem is, we've got a culture that's afraid of truth because truth means I'm wrong. And so we reject truth, and we just go with what feels right, and we see the weight and destruction of that. I can't trust what's in here. Why? Because of what the Bible makes incredibly clear all throughout, but it says explicitly in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Beyond cure, who can understand it? You hear that? I can't trust every thought I think. You can't trust every feeling you have. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God looks in on our minds and searches and examines and invites us to do the same thing. This, ver or this verse sparked a thought and actually was an illustration from the book, but it made me think of TSA. Any of you traveled in an airplane since uh, 2001? Raise your hands. Come on, throw them up. This is an honest series. How many of you enjoyed the TSA process? Keep your hands up. All right, a few of you. Here's, here's the thing about TSA. One, um, we love TSA agents. I ragged on them pretty hard in the first service. If you're one of them, we love you, and we appreciate everything you do to keep us safe in the air. But here's the deal. They're some of the grumpiest people around, all right? There, there's something about the TSA environment that makes everybody the worst version of themselves, right? Like, there's the agents that feel annoyed that they have to repeat themselves, and then there's the whole confusion around TSA, right? Because at the last airport, you kept your shoes on. At this airport, your shoes have to come off. And it's like, wait, 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 you told me in the bin in JFK, but now in Chicago, they're not in the bin, right? And so everybody's yelling, and we should know the rules. And then you get to the agent that asks for your ID. And you would think if this agent ever smiled, it would break their face, right? Like, 
They're grumpy, grumpy people. So then you get in there, and you're like taking your shoes off, and then there's that poor soul that occasionally forgets to take the blow dryer out of the backpack, and so then they get pulled in, and they get searched down, and like it's just, it's a, it's a whole scene. I actually was thinking about this. I was with, a, uh, with some friends. We were going on a job. This is before I came into full-time ministry. And we were traveling, and I was with this guy. We're going we're gonna to call him Joe for today's story. Um, Joe's one of those guys that just found trouble. I mean, trouble found him. I don't know. He's currently serving his fourth sentence for the same crime, getting caught in the same house. Whatever. All right, we love Joe. Pray Joe finds Jesus. But while I was walking through TSA, I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't be near Joe while we go through TSA. <laughs> so I stopped and I paused and I, I let Joe go to that line and I went through my line and I get through the line and I kid you not, just as I get through, grab my stuff, ding, 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 metal detector is going off, they're yelling security, people are running, Joe looks like he doesn't know what in the world is going on, Joe gets pulled into a side room and then nothing. So I go, what any, do what anybody would do when your friend gets taken in by the TSA. I go buy Burger King and eat that cheeseburger. And about 45 minutes later, out comes Joe. Nothing but the clothes on his back. And I said, Joe, what happened? Well, I kind of left my tools in the bag. What tools did you have in the bag, Joe? Well, I had like a nine-inch screwdriver and a large drill and a couple drywall knives and a whole pack of razor blades. And you thought that was going on the plane. I've never flown before. Yeah, and you're never flying again, Joe. All right? <laughs> At least not with me, you're not. Uh, why do I rant about TSA and, and Joe? Not about how we fly. We appreciate their safety. But it's, I think, should tell you, and I would invite you to put a mental TSA into your life. That every time a thought came to you, what if you were as rigorous and mean with those thoughts as TSA is with the hair dryers in the backpack? What if you said, why are you here, thought? Who gave you permission to be in my life? Who sent you, and how long do you intend to stay? If you just began to stop the thoughts and see, are you for me or against me? Because the reality is, as important as the pilot is in the cockpit of the plane, so it is that what truth is in your life is going to steer your life. The things you allow to come in and take the cockpit of your life are going to take you somewhere, and you may not want to go where that thought takes you. But if you let it into your mind and heart, it is that much harder to uproot it. So would you stop it before it even gets there? Actually, in the book of Philippians, Paul commands us to do this TSA process. Verse, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the TSA that Paul says to do. He says, okay, is that thought true? No, it's not true. Then, then send it out the exit. Is that thought noble? Uh, probably not. Is it thinking highly of others? No, definitely not. Okay, well, to security with you. Is that thought pure? Ah, well, uh, it's kind of got the makings of a bomb that's going to blow my life up. Then why let it in? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Is it admirable? Paul says, no, no, no. You just have to stop those there. See, the reality is we all have these thoughts that don't belong there. There was a study done in the 80s. So this was back when the cell phones had an antenna the size of a cell tower and a duffel bag in order to make a phone call. So this was before Twitter and all of these things which are inundating our minds. Back in the 80s, here's what the study said. 
there's 500 intrusive thoughts every 16 hours. 500 unwelcomed thoughts. 18% of those are mean or unacceptable thoughts or politically incorrect thoughts. Thoughts that you wouldn't want put on this screen this morning. 13% of those are ugly or downright shocking. Things like shoving somebody off a subway platform or suffocating somebody with a pillow. I kid you not, this is what the study found. 13%, that means 116 minutes a day are of unwanted thoughts. And this was a secular study, which doesn't account for things that the Bible would call unwelcome, like lust and things like that. Over two hours of our day could be given to unwanted, unwelcome thoughts. And I would bet that would be even higher depending on the work environment you uh, work in and the things you hear all day long. And, and why do I say this? Because the problem isn't that these thoughts show up. The problem is that some of us pull out the sofa, cook them dinner, and let them stay a while. We've let some lies and some things that are just not helpful take control of our life. And so I want to invite you to declare war on four areas of lies that you are going to have to face. These four areas are not all-consuming, but if you could get these four in order, I'm going to tell you what, your life would look entirely different. The first one I want to invite you to do is declare war on the lies you tell yourself. See, here's the thing about this whole fight. I'm enemy number one to my own life. You're enemy number one to your own life. We live in a culture full of blame, but the reality is no one has more opportunity to do more damage in your life than you do to yourself. No one talks to you more than you talk to you, which means no one has more opportunity to lie to you than you lie to you, which means I probably lie to myself more than anything. And so we need to declare war on the lies we tell ourselves. I want to read you some of these to help maybe stir some thought for you. Here's some that I have heard either myself say or others say. You'll never top this success. You've peaked. You'll never escape your past. You'll never achieve your dreams. You're a failure and everyone knows it. You will never overcome this sin. They don't like you, which is why they didn't say hi to you, because frankly, no one likes you. You don't have what it takes. You won't get to see your kids grow up. You don't deserve anything good because of what you've done. You're defined by the difficult things you've been through. Everyone else is way worse. This is no big deal. Seriously, it's okay that you drink too much. It's not a problem. You don't need to change. You're fine just the way you are. On and on I could go, and on and on you could probably go, explaining the lies that you have told yourself, and these are incredibly destructive. And we like to, like I said, blame people, but we have to begin to own first the own damage we've created in our own life by these lies. In 2018, there was an artist by the name of Banksy, and maybe you've heard of him. He painted this famous painting of the girl with the red balloon. Um, and he, he just is a really interesting artist. He's kind of a street artist, but he does some really cool work. And he was getting ready to sell this piece of art at a, a um, what do you call those things? An art show, I guess, is what the word we'll use today. I'm sure there's a fancier word for that. It sounds like caviar or something. Anyway, he's getting ready to sell this thing, and there's people that are everywhere. He's very excited. He's a very well-known artist, and they're bidding on this painting, and you realized in this moment you've picked the wrong profession because this thing sold for $1.4 million, and you thought, I should start painting because I think I could do that, all right? So it sells for $1.4 million, the gavel slams, and something incredibly interesting happens. I want you to see what happens. Tiana will be bidding and selling for $860,000. 
So he planned this whole thing, video cameras and everything, that when the gavel slammed, he hit a button that sent the painting through a shredder. And so when it came out of the bottom, half of the painting was shredded in half. And what I find so interesting about that video is that the security guards came and run to grab the painting. And I'm not sure what their purpose was of trying to save the painting. Like, what are you going to do at that point? But why was the security there that day? They were there to protect the painting from the people. They had no idea they needed to protect the painting from the painting. See, we, just like that picture, have a shredder built in. And in those critical moments of our life, the things that matter most, the big promotion that's in front of you, that critical parenting conversation, the the conversation with somebody at work that you've been waiting for for a long time, we hit the button and we just begin to shred ourselves. We begin to believe the lies that we have heard, the lies that we are never going to mount to anything, that we shouldn't even open our mouth because of where we've been and what we've done. We just begin to shred any worth and value in our life and we just give up. Why? Because we have believed some lies about ourselves that just aren't true. Would you this morning begin to take captive those thoughts and say that's just not true? And more than just the lies you tell yourselves, you have to deal with the lies others have told you which is our second point. Would you declare war on the lies others tell us? I don't know your story, and I don't know all of your stories, but I would assume there's been some things spoken over you that have been hurtful or or damaging. Let me read some possibilities. You'd never amount to anything. You're just like your no-good father. You're dumb, and you should quit now. You're worthless and ugly. You're always going to be poor and broke. You should just quit. Everybody's just waiting for you to fail. On and on, the lies could go. I'm a, I'm a very um, even-keeled individual. Someone call me monotone or flat. Um, it's just pretty hard to get me riled up. Like, I'm just kind of always hanging out at a seven. Some people get annoyed that I'm just always hanging out with a seven. Just where I am. It's hard to get me to go to a nine, hard to get me to go down to five. I'm just, just kind of here. Except when I'm in the grocery store and I hear an adult behind me, adult, berating, belittling, yelling at, and verbally abusing a child. Nothing makes me want to grab that half gallon of overpriced milk and smack it upside that adult's head, put him in handcuffs, and drag them out of there, turn around, and begin to speak life over this child. Like, it, it rises some holy anger in me to see kids treated like that, and I don't think it's unbiblical. But yet, I'm not so aggressive when it comes to the lies others have spoken over me. I don't so quickly dismiss those harmful things that have been spoken to me as lies. I sometimes let them come in and stay a while. I sometimes begin to wonder and believe, and maybe you begin to believe that maybe they're right after all. Maybe they are true, and I never will amount to much. I want to read for you some of the lies that I've had to battle that others have spoken over me. Maybe I'll never, I never will amount to anything. After all, look at where I came from. Surely the kid from a divorced home won't be able to do anything great for God. Maybe my teacher was right. Because I didn't grow up in a stable home, I really am more likely to end up in a failed marriage. Maybe my critic was right. I am a terrible teacher because I'm flat, emotionless, and monotone. I would put people to sleep long before I brought about anything good. Maybe the other critic was right. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm not pastoral enough. I'm not kind enough. I'll never be able to maintain a healthy, growing church. I'd love to say I made these up, and the truth is I know that these are light compared to what some of you have had to endure. So what do you do with them? Well, you take them through TSA. You take them through the mental checklist and say, here, I have a couple questions for you, thought. Is this true? 
All right. Yes or no? Well, it's hard to know truth unless you know God's word. We're going to talk about that later. But then you ask the second question. Is this what God declares over me? Is this what the word of God says is true about me? And then you ask a really hard question. If this is true, is it final or can God redeem this? See, because the reality is sometimes people say hard things to us that hurt so bad we want to believe their lies. But it just poked something that hurt really bad and it really was true. Sometimes truth hurts and you want to call it a lie, but it's true. You have to acknowledge when somebody points out a sin or a pattern in your life that's destructive. So then you ask the next question, is that final? Is that it for the rest of my life or can God redeem this? Well, the truth is God can redeem anything. So let's get to work and start working on that redemption process. And then there's the last question, is it sent to destroy me or build me up? We're going to talk about this at length next week, but it's easy to identify a lie or at least the source in which it came from. Was this sent in a way that would destroy my life and send me off course, or was this sent in a way to maybe poke me where I needed to be poked that I might be built up into looking more like Christ? I'm going to talk at length about what that looks like next week. Third area that you need to be on the lookout for is not just what you tell yourselves, but the, th- the thoughts you think that cause you to believe lies about others. You declare war on the lies we believe about others. Because just as often as we hate, you can say it a little bit more dramatically, we hate being misunderstood. We hate when our motives are, are questioned wrongly. We hate it. We are so quick to jump to write the narrative of why someone did what they did. We are so quick to fill in the blanks of what we think someone was actually intending to do. Let me read a few for you. She didn't say hi to me because she thinks she's better than me. He must be having an affair because he kept looking at his phone while I was talking to him. They totally meant to make fun of me in a group of people to make me look dumb. They didn't text me back. They definitely don't like me or care about me. The only reason they are friends is because he wants his money. This one has the opportunity to ruin your marriage, has the opportunity to ruin your friendships, has the opportunity to ruin the church. Because in relationships, you are given opportunities all the time where you have gaps. Either a gap in communication or a gap in what I expect and what I see. That gap is where you get to choose what you put in there. Do you put in suspicion? Do you write the narrative without the facts? Or do you fill the gap with inquisition, not accusation? When you don't understand something, you're going to throw that out there. Fill the gap with inquisition, not accusation. Accusation. When you don't understand something, you do what TSA does. When the thought goes through the x-ray machine, you stop and go, this looks like a, a, an Uzi machine gun. Let me inspect further. Oh, it turns out it's a hair dryer. I would have thrown you in prison for nothing. And how often do we assume something based on partial information, and then we just assume it's fact? A couple of months ago, I had an opportunity where I was hanging out, and I was working, actually, and I saw something, saw some individuals having a conversation, it, and it, it just kind of struck something in my heart, made me wonder what was happening, and let me tell you what, I wrote an incredible story of what was happening there. It was a whole network of rabbit trails that my brain ran down, and I believed the story I wrote in my head for about three weeks, and it, it robbed me of so much peace. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. It took so much of my peace for about two, three weeks. It, I was wrestling with it. I was trying to fill in the gaps. And I found out what happened in the conversation. And guess what? I was wrong. It was all a lie. And here I had tense relationships because I made something up. Now, I don't know you, but I know you have that opportunity. 
I know in your marriages, in your friendships, you get to choose when something doesn't make sense to go, hey, can you help me fill in the details here? Or you can just fill in the details based on the motivations of what you think they're doing. Declare war on those thoughts. Stop them. Find out the truth. Here's the fourth thing that I I think is incredibly important for us, and it's this, that we uh, declare war on the lies we believe about God. Did you know the very first lie ever told was a lie about God? Genesis, we see the beginning of creation. We see the serpent come and tempt Adam and Eve with what? A lie about the character of God. Did God really say you couldn't do that? Did God really call that wrong? It It's only because God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. That's why. Do you hear that? It is a lie about the character of God that led to the destruction of mankind. In the same way, if we begin to believe the lies about God, it will lead to harmful places in our life. Let me read a few of those possibilities for you. God doesn't care about me. If he did, this wouldn't have happened. God must not be loving. Otherwise, my loved one wouldn't have gotten sick. God doesn't care about what I do. He doesn't care if I sin or not. Whatever. God could never forgive me. I'm too much of a sinner. God is holding out on me. He must want me to be miserable and suffer. No lie has the same amount of power to steer the direction of your life like a lie you believe about God. The most important decisions you make will be influenced by what you believe or don't believe to be true of God's character. It has the power to hijack your life or to take you to incredibly wonderful places. See, your feelings are not ultimate. The truth about God is ultimate. And I have to make the decisions, and you have to make the decisions to go, I know I feel this way, but it's just not true. Because the word of God tells me something else. I know I feel this way about God, but I have to bring it into alignment with what he has declared to be true about himself. And then I will begin to order my life accordingly to that. But the only way you can spot those lies is if you know his word, if you know what he declares to be true of himself. So what do we do with this? You know what lies to to look out for. How do you change your thinking? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 2 tells us exactly what to do. Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me pause right there. Do not conform to the pattern of relationships and marriage and the idea of love that you see on TV. Do not conform to the pattern of lifestyle expectations that you see on Instagram. Do not conform to the pattern of the world whose people are having conversations that you don't even respect their life, but that you're beginning to think like them. Do not conform to the pattern of the ways of the world around us that you don't even like the direction it's going, but yet you find yourself thinking those things. Paul says, don't fall into the rut that everybody else is falling, falling into. Stop. Recognize it for what it is. It's a lie. And then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then when you take your thoughts captive, when you declare war on the things that aren't true, you begin to believe what is true, you see good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God brought about in your life. Does that mean there won't be hard times? No. There will be, but you'll know that you're in God's hands. See, here's the deal about your mind. You are choosing to fill it every day. And if it's filled with 99.9% of things of this world, the 1% daily verse that you read just isn't going to cut it. 
have to begin to cut out some of the noises and patterns of this world and begin to input more of the word of God in our life. And you renew your mind by allowing the truth of God's word, by you getting in the Bible consistently, that you would believe what is true about God. Could I tell you, if you spent even 20 minutes a day reading the word of God instead of those t- that time on Facebook, your life, your thought process would be so different. Your joy would be fuller. Your life satisfaction would be higher. Your peace would be greater. Why? Because you've begun to uproot the lies and plant truth. But you can't do it alone. You need godly people in your life to be able to spot the lies. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation talking to somebody who I really know and respect, and they go, wait, 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 wait. You know that's not true, right? Or wait, 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 stop. You don't know that about them. Don't fill in those, those gaps for them. Stop it. Knock it off. Why? Because I can't win this battle on my own, and neither can you. And why you feel so exhausted, most likely, is because you have been trying to do it on your own. That's what the church is here for you, to fight alongside as we fight for our lives. You also need to be here regularly. I'm not saying this for any other reason than you need to hear the word of God proclaimed. You need to be in corporate worship. You need to hear the truth of God proclaimed in song, that it sticks with your mind, that what you hear is God's truth. I don't know all of your stories, but I would imagine there's some lies that have done some pretty good damage in your life. Be it from what a parent spoke over you, be it from what uh, a spouse has spoken to you or somebody who's no longer in your life, be it a lie you've believed about yourself and the low self-image that has just affected the entirety of your life. I don't know what it is. I'm sure you do. What I do know is this, is it's not the end of the story for you, or at least it doesn't have to be. You know, the cool thing about this whole Banksy girl with the red balloon picture is because, um, you know, you'd think a shredded picture isn't worth that much anymore, but they actually estimate now that the photo is worth way more than the $1.4 million it originally sold for because the whole thing really was an act of art. The video, the setup, the whole thing was really to talk about um, the atrocities of how much painting costs and it really should just be for beauty and love and whatever. I don't understand. I'm not an artist. But it's worth $1.4 million whole and worth a whole lot more tattered. And I find it interesting because the value of this is not determined by what we see, but by what someone declares over it. And so I would say it is true with you. That the tattered things of your life, the things that you are ashamed of, the things you wish you could undo, the lies that you've believed or the things that you know to be true that have caused you to believe lies... You know, it doesn't surprise God. You know, he saw this brokenness coming. And perhaps he knew that it was the exact environment you needed to be able to see his great love. That if it wasn't for some of this brokenness, you would have never turned to him. If it wasn't for this tragedy that you feel shredded everything, you would have never found him. And yet he declares over you worth and value far more than what the eye can see. Would you take that And begin to go to war on the thoughts in your mind. Next time you want to cut yourself down, would you stop and say, that's not what God declares over me? Next time you want to begin to speak poorly of someone, would you pause and go, that's not what God has declared over them? And tomorrow, you're going to have to pick this battle up. I tell you, as I've been writing this series over the last four or five months, the thoughts that I have had to wrestle with as I'm trying to walk this path. Man, I tell you what, it's coming for you, but it's a fight worth fighting. You're going to have to fight this tomorrow. You're probably going to have to fight it the day after that, and the day after that, 
but it's the most important fight you can fight because what happens in the mind really matters and it will take you somewhere and you get to decide where that somewhere is with God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you are truth. There's no falsehood in you. There's no lies about you. And that we can trust you. God, I thank you that you have given us the power through the Holy Spirit to begin to fight off the the thoughts and lies that so easily infiltrate. God, I pray that we'd be able to identify those things. We would bring them to the cross and that you would remove them for us. God, I pray that you would give us a tenacity to begin to fight to get our life back, to fight to get the life that you have freely given to us, and that we would walk in that full victory. Jesus, we thank you, and we declare victory in your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.